Welcome to the New City Church Podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and the message is called, Blessed are the Poor in Spirit. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Okay, Matthew 5, starting in verse 1 and going to verse 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you that's the word of god all right well let's pray together church lord do in our hearts what only you can do By the power of your spirit, through the truth of your word, I pray for humble hearts, ready to listen and obey, to be instructed by you, Lord, to walk in faith, not in the flesh. Help us to walk in the spirit, that we would not fulfill what our flesh desires. God, speak to us and teach us in this amazing section of your word, as Christ stood to teach, help us to learn, Lord. Help us to grow. Lord, um, we give it to you. Give you this time, and we pray that you would be glorified, and the kingdom would be advanced, Lord, as we are changed and transformed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're, we're going to be in a long series, okay? We're not moving from Matthew, but it's like a series within a series. Matthew 5 begins the Sermon on the Mount. And it's uh, the, the longest recorded single moment of Jesus' preaching that we have on record. Um, and it begins with a very famous section called the Beatitudes. And so we've decided in the Beatitudes, we're going to take one verse a, a per sermon in the Beatitudes. All right, so we're going to take our time. So today, obviously, we're talking about the poor in spirit. But this will be, hopefully, a transformative series, and maybe if it's a little, a little eye-opening, maybe you've memorized the Beatitudes or you've heard teachings on it before, but let's ask the Lord to do something new in us through His Word, through His ancient Word, that his, this old text would do a new work in our lives as we surrender to what God has, has said through His Son, Jesus. So, the setting... Of this, if you look at verse 1, chapter 5, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So the setting is interesting. If we were to just look at Matthew, we would have a, a little bit of a narrower view. And so it's nice to have the Synoptic Gospels that gives us a little bit of a more of a broader viewpoint of what's happening. This tells us that there are crowds 
Matthew's gospel tells us, seeing the crowds. And then he went up to the mountain. So we know the setting is a mountainside. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So what we're supposed to be picturing here is a large crowd of people, a vast sea of people, but a closer circle, a tighter knit circle of his disciples, potentially beyond even just the original that he's already called, but those who are following him. There was a a tighter knit circle that was approaching him, and Jesus is teaching them. So the context of this is that he is teaching his disciples, but the crowds are hearing. Does that make sense? It's, It's different as opposed to just preaching to the crowds. His disciples are there, and they, they came to him, and he began to teach. And just for a little bit of context from another gospel writer, look at Luke chapter 6. Turn over there real quick. So Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, uh, gives us a little bit more of a, a broader view of this, which is nice to have. So Luke six seventeen, it says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are the poor, or you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So then he goes into the Beatitudes. So you can see just a little bit of a vantage point difference. A larger crowd, he mentions several other cities, and here it says a flat plain. Matthew says a mountainside. Oh no, it's a contradiction. Don't believe the Bible. No, it's, it's not that serious, right? We can see from different perspectives that at some point Jesus clearly was on a mountainside, and maybe there was a flat plain somewhere in this mountain, and that's absolutely possible and acceptable. The most important part is that Jesus is here with these crowds. He's beginning to teach them, and we need to pay attention to his words. We need to pay attention to his words. And so flip back over to chapter 5 again. That was just to give you a little bit of a a setting and in your mind to see what, what was possibly happening here. Great crowds and disciples. Now, what's the reason? So we have the setting and we have the audience. The reason for this is to teach them. Jesus was a teacher. Before this, we see just a couple of verses earlier, he came onto the scene preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Eric taught last week and we sort of looked at the differences between preaching and teaching, proclaiming and explaining and these things. And Jesus was an expert at both. Let's just say that. Perfect teacher, perfect preacher. Well, who's your favorite preacher? Jesus Christ. Who's your favorite teacher? Jesus Christ. May it always be that. Always. He is our teacher. He is the greatest preacher. We listen to what he has to say. So what he was teaching, though, was a sermon. It was a sermon on the mount, and he was speaking of the kingdom. So the context of this, we have to look at all that has happened and transpired up until now. And Jesus has come onto the scene. He's been baptized. He's been pronounced king. He's gone into the wilderness and overcame temptation. Again, what did he do? He willingly went. See, we are succumbed to temptation sometimes. It comes to us and it creeps up on us. Not with Jesus. Jesus went into the wilderness in order to be tempted. That's a big difference, is it not? And he did that for us and he overcame the enemy and all the temptations there. And he comes out of that wilderness, that place, and he is preaching the kingdom of God. He begins to call disciples uh, to himself, and he is a preacher of repentance. So all of this has to do with the kingdom. The king is on the scene. 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so now what we get to see is Jesus is speaking of the kingdom and he's beginning to announce blessedness to a people who would otherwise be accursed. So we're seeing a contrast here, which we often see in Scripture. I think it's often a a good practice to even look for contrasts that you see. It's a, it's a good way to read Scripture even. What's, what is this compared to? What is this contrasting with? And so Jesus is announcing blessedness. When we think of the Beatitudes, we think of blessing. Every, every one of them begins with blessed, blessed, blessed. But what is the king saying? The king is saying that this is the way of the kingdom of God. This is what the people of the kingdom look like. And outside of a relationship with Christ, with Jesus the king, there is no blessedness. There is only cursing. There's only the fall and there's only depravity. So he's announcing these blessed things. It tells us in verse 2 that he opened his mouth and taught them. He opened his mouth. The, the Greek word for opened his mouth is an ex, it's, it's as if he raised his voice louder than he had before. This probably for the amplification of the people there in the crowd so that they could hear him. However, they were creative there so that people could hear. But he opened his mouth. He proclaimed this. He was exclaiming, and it was an amazing moment. But he opened his mouth to teach them, and he begins to teach these beatitudes. Now, what is a beatitude? You've heard all the fancy, like, these are the attitudes you ought to be, right? And so you're like, that's cute, you know. Be these attitudes. Uh, Yeah, but they're blessings. That's what they are. They're blessings. These are the, this is the blessed life of a kingdom citizen. If you are in the kingdom of God, if you are a citizen of heaven's kingdom, these are your blessings. So there's two two things that you could think about. This is one, something that we could seek to achieve in a way as a Christian. I want to be this. I want to be poor in spirit. I want to be meek and humble. I want to, I want to, to preach the gospel in such a way that when I'm persecuted, I handle it in a godly way. Right? Those are things to aspire to, but These are also actual pronouncements of a now reality for everybody who is in Christ. And that's amazing. So we're not here looking to attain these things. We're to believe the reality of the blessing of being in the kingdom of God, of being in the kingdom of Christ. These are also paradoxes. You guys like a good paradox? I love them. I mean, it's weird. I like paradox. Some people... I can't stand it, but this is a par- Blessed are the poor, wait a minute, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And so again, a contrast. And all through you can see the paradoxes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. These are paradoxes. And we can only understand them in the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, and understanding the gospel and what Christ has done. What is the world's general path to blessedness? And happiness. In general, the world's path is the opposite of everything here that Jesus is saying. Seek wealth. Seek after comfort. Find these things. Don't seek to control your appetites. Just seek satisfaction. And those are the ways of getting ahead and being at the top. And it's the, it's the world's kingdom's way of happiness and blessedness. So again, we can see Jesus is speaking an abs- an, a, a complete contrast of all of this. And the way of the kingdom is not like this. 
So this, the king, Jesus Christ, sets before them, and his students are near him. A large crowd is gathering around on the mountainside, and he begins to teach. And again, it's not a future potential, but a present reality. The right question to ask when we think about blessed are the poor in spirit, the right question to ask is, who are the blessed? Who are the blessed? Not how can I be blessed. Who are the blessed? This is an identity type statement. Who are the blessed? The poor in spirit are blessed. Is that who you are? Is the next question. Are you poor in spirit? Who are the blessed? The poor in spirit are. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? So the rest of our time will be hopefully to flesh that out and to have a great understanding of what it is to be poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are blessed. Now this is befitting the message of Christ to the world. When he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is also almost a a view, a quick snapshot of what does the repentant life look like. Because the one who has repented of sin to follow Jesus because the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom reality is before you, there's two kingdoms, it's either you're in Christ's kingdom or you're in the kingdom of the world, to have have forsaken the kingdom of this world and to follow Christ is to repent of the world's standards of happiness and be in Christ. And this is one of the signs of a repented life, poor in spirit. Have you truly repented? Then this is who you are. Blessed. Happy. That's truly what the word means. It's a, it's a happiness. That's why I keep saying happy here. Oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. So, for the repentant, there is happiness. True happiness is only there for the repentant and the truly repentant have learned the way of the king. You're looking to Christ, his way, and you're saying, I'm satisfied in Christ. I'm happy in Jesus Christ. Not having learned it by some effort or exertion of the will, but by the transforming work of the Spirit and the power of God. To be poor in spirit is to look at something other than the flesh, right? We have all experienced highs and lows of physical well-being. Some of us have experienced what we would call in our country poverty. Still, and as serious as that is, the world has poverty that we've never seen before, that we've never experienced, the level of poverty. So we need to do a little bit of creativity in our minds to really be able to understand what does it mean to be poor, first of all, and then poor in spirit. So if you're not poor which most of us are not poor in the sense of what this really means in a physical sense. We have something. We all got here and we're wearing clothes. We have some assets. That's not complete poverty. So we have to work at this a little bit to think, what does this mean, poor in spirit? But it's not something that we can attain. If we look at this in light of the rest of Scripture and the gospel of what we know, this isn't about attaining poverty in spirit. It's not about working hard in our flesh to get there. It's a a transforming work of God. 
It is God who alone can reveal to us a poverty of spirit to the place of readiness to walk with Jesus and to be satisfied in the kingdom. It is the Spirit of God that does that. So there are the poor, and then there are those who have nothing. Have you ever had nothing? I mean nothing. I, I, I agree that we can be in a place where we have, compared to somebody else, nothing. I agree with that. And this is not to limit somebody's plight or something that we've gone through. But to have nothing is to have absolutely zero assets to bring or offer anybody. Nothing. The poor in this world, there are, there are those who are poor. You've seen the pictures. You've seen the scenarios. You've read about it. And maybe you've even been to a place where it is, you have felt like you've had absolutely nothing. But the, distru- the, the, poverty, the pro- poverty described here is meant to be contrasted with a great spiritual blessing that comes from being in the kingdom of heaven. Notice the contrast and try to see it as two absolute polar opposites. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The, the absolute poorest of poor in the spirit, in spirit, nothing. You have nothing to offer, nothing to bring, nothing that person, those people get the kingdom of heaven. Spurgeon said it like this, this beatitude is first because this is where we start with God. A ladder, if it is to be of any use, must have its first step near the ground. Or feeble climbers will never be able to mount it. This is the first rung. And it begins perfectly here with the poor in spirit. Before he gets on to the meek and the, and the blessed are those who mourn, you cannot mourn, you cannot be meek without first being spiritually deprived and completely assetless without anything to see your true need for Jesus Christ. For us to find our true satisfaction in Christ. To be able to see blessedness in persecution, blessedness in hungering and thirsting for righteousness, having an actual pain of hunger for the righteousness of Christ, to see blessing in that, you need poverty of spirit first. He goes on to say, not what I have, but what I have not is the first point of contact between my soul and God. So if we approach God with what we have, and we say, well, God, I have this, we're doing it wrong. It is the one who comes to God and says, I have nothing, and who knows that they have nothing, that God then takes and molds and fills with himself and gives the kingdom and gives the heavenly blessings that are in Christ. That's where we begin. We begin at that lowest step, poverty of spirit, poor in spirit. This takes a work of God for us to see. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I want you to think about for a moment. If you are or have ever been in that category of how could God use me? What do I have? What gifts do I have? What talents do I have? What possessions do I have? I've never been to the mission field. 
I, I haven't gone and done what all these other great missionaries have done. What about those who are proclaiming the gospel in the streets? And I've, I've not done that. I don't have the gifting to do that. I don't know if God can use me. Or maybe you just feel absolutely useless and worthless because of things you've done. Do you see how amazing it is that it begins this way? That Jesus starts by pronouncing blessedness, happiness for poor people. Poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So that means that the standard isn't what do I have. The standard is what don't I have. I have nothing. And allowing Christ to be your everything, to be everything that you need, his word to fill you, his life to fill you, his word to be your light and your lamp for your feet, to tell you what to do next, to to speak to you, to fill you up. This is what he does with the empty person. How much more of our time should we be using to actually empty ourselves and be humble before God? Think about all the scenarios in which we walk, our marriages, our parenting, our workplaces, relationships of all kinds, parenting. Think about those moments where you have felt helpless. End of your rope, confusion, full of the flesh, maybe completely fruitless in your life. And then you think about something like this. The one who admits that and then comes to Jesus, you have everything. You have everything you need. It's admitting that first, though. Spiritual poverty. So what is expected of a man or woman or child in their contribution to salvation, then? If this is true, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who have nothing to bring. There's great blessing in Jesus, from Jesus, through Christ. There's blessing. So what does this say about what we bring to the table? I think this is a great place to turn our attention, for a moment at least. If this is where Jesus begins with the kingdom life and kingdom mindset and the attitudes of the saved and the attitude of the redeemed, then we can conclude and should conclude that we contribute nothing if we are poor in spirit. We contribute nothing. And it is all the work of Christ. So there's some things that this does not mean as well. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is not some kind of forced false humility. Because the scripture says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it doesn't mean to have a false humility and say, I hate all that I have. Oh, the Lord's given me a nice house. I hate it. I hate it. I don't even want it. And I have five children. I don't want my children. They're a blessing. Poor in spirit. That's the way. (laughs) You see how that could be abused? That's not what it means to be. It's a spiritual poverty. It's an attitude of heart. It's a, it's, a, it's a disposition of your mind because Christ is in you. And you know how to be blessed and how to be abased. You know how to be poor and you know how to have blessing. And it begins here with being poor in spirit. So don't, don't force some, side of, some kind of false humility. 
and don't, actually, and don't even try to be poor physically. I've seen that too. There are people who, there are seasons of poverty, and there are people in our lives, and even we've been through them. Many of you, I've had those stories. Callie and I have those stories of what we would say, times of great need, desperation and prayer. You're depending on everybody else for what you need, food, oil in your tank. We've been there. We've all been to place, in places like that. But there is no blessedness in pursuing poverty. That's not what we're told to do. It's not no greater of a blessing than, than God blessing you with riches and you using it for his kingdom. So the poor in spirit can be the rich of this earth or the poor of this earth. It's a great, leveling, a great leveler, isn't it? Whether you are rich and have much in this world or you have very little, we are all poor in spirit and we all need Jesus Christ. And we are all desperate for him. That's the reality of poor in spirit. We're thinking spiritual poverty here. I have nothing to bring. What do I have, Lord? Who am I? It's a contentedness. And we are called to be content in every season that we're in. So wherever you find yourself today, the Lord wants us to be content. And the way to be content is to begin here. We all are spiritually deprived outside of Christ. Once in Jesus, once in Christ through faith in him, and he comes in flooding in with his spirit and indwells us, we're born again, alive in Christ, we have everything that we need. It's an overused illustration, right? But if you're in Christ, whatever your status here is, once you die, that doesn't matter. It just does not matter, does it? When we stand before the throne of God, when we're in heaven, we're in glory, we're standing before Jesus Christ, he's not going to say, well, aren't you disappointed you had to leave that behind? <laughs> no, there's not going to be that at all. So a contentedness. It comes from God, a holy disposition, the mindset of the redeemed. That's what the Beatitudes really are. It's the mindset of those who are redeemed. And we can, by God's power, see that way. So what is it that we need to ultimately learn in our hearts? What do our hearts need? Well, one thing is for sure, weakness, lack, being bankrupt in the kingdom of God is not a disadvantage, but an advantage. Weakness, and I'm talking about spiritual weakness, lack, feeling lacking, like you have nothing at the end of your robe, bankruptcy, what do I do now, Lord? Those are amazing places to be. It's not a disadvantage. In fact, I wish we were more. I've seen so much more fruit from a man or a woman who says, I don't know what to do, I just need Jesus. I don't know what to do, God, move in my life. Something's not right, help me, God. That's an advantage. So maybe that's you. Maybe there's some scenario or something, that you're going on, something that's going on. You're desperate for the Lord to move. That's spiritual poverty. It allows you to truly be desperate for the Lord. To say, oh, I'm desperate for the Lord, and then to immediately lean on some other asset that you have is not true desperation. 
So we need to learn that in our hearts. And that's a scriptural, biblical principle all through God's word of that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Paul cried out, free me from this thing that plagues me. No, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. There are things that the Lord may never free us from physically because he wants us to see our desperate need in the spiritual realm. That we need this mindset. So it's an advantage. We need to learn that. Maybe we need to spend more time praying about that. How, Lord, can you use me in my weakness and bring it to the Lord? Jesus helps us to see how this, is, uh, how this looks. He gives a parable in Luke 18. I think it's very fitting for us to sort of see a, a scenario played out. So look over at Luke 18. Beginning in verse 9. He says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's what the parable was for. Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you guys see this? The clarity of that situation, the poverty of spirit, and the one who banked on everything that he had or did or could accomplish. So much so that that Pharisee looked at the tax collector and said, I especially don't want to be like that guy. And guess what? That guy got the kingdom. That's how we need to see things. It also will change our perspective of how we see other people around us, won't it? Who is acceptable in the kingdom? Who are the people that God would have us bring the gospel to? It's our neighbor, right? Jesus, love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Whoever's there. Whoever's there standing. Nobody is unworthy of hearing the gospel. And nobody, based on what they have done, should we ever qualify them as they've done too much. I could not possibly, they can't, they could never come to Christ. In this scenario, we see that what is most important is humility of heart. I think this is a good example of someone who is poor in spirit. They look at their life, all that they've done. Now, a tax collector, by our understanding of history, these would have been very wealthy people. But he knew his poverty before the Lord. And there was a blessing for him 
and not for the Pharisee. So I think it's, it's, as a way of application, it's safe to ask yourself, who, who are you in that scenario? What disposition do you have? What is, what is our mindset? As we, one, look at our own spiritual life, and then also as we look at others, are we guilty of that? Are we guilty of saying about others? I'm just glad I'm not as sinful as that person. It's true spiritual poverty won't do that. Spiritual poverty looks at our own self, and we realize our desperate need before Christ every day. And it's something that will never leave us. It's not only at the beginning, it's not only the first rung. Thank God it's the poor in spirit that receive the kingdom. Because that's where you begin as a baby Christian. You don't have a whole lot. So if you're a new Christian or a younger Christian or maybe not yet a Christian, you're like, what does this look like for me to be a Christian? Do I have to have it all together? Do I have to be as spiritual as the other people in the room? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's also an encouragement for the brand new believer. Or maybe the one who is just about to put faith in Christ and you're just like, "Uh, I don't know, I don't want to, it doesn't seem right. All you have to do is be poor. I say that. You you can't work your way there even with poverty. You understand what I'm saying? But you do understand what I'm saying. From our outside view, and so much of Scripture is like that, we're looking at this and we're saying, what do we do, Lord? Help us to be poor in spirit. But also, thank you, Lord, for the work of your Holy Spirit in my life that has humbled me to see that, to see the reality. So, what is the kingdom of heaven uh, comprised of? What kind of people are going to be there? Broken, contrite, empty, assetless people who have come to find all their needs met in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of people. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Jesus saw this world vastly different than we often do in our flesh. I'm glad for that too. There's a blessedness for the broken, for the contrite. Jesus would say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. The weary and the heavy laden, the one with deep, heavy burdens upon your shoulders because of sin and because of this world, come to him and he will give you rest. There is truly rest for those who come to Christ. How good is Jesus to teach us this? Amen, church? How good is he to teach us this principle of what it is to be truly happy, to have a blessedness in our lives? It also serves as a warning to the proud who trust in what he or she owns or what he or she has done or accomplished. This is a warning to the proud because the proud will be humbled. That's not a good thing. The humble will be exalted the proud will be humbled forcefully to see you did it wrong. Your pride will kill you. Our pride is so destructive. So this is a warning also to not trust in riches or what we have done or what we are accomplishing, to not trust in any of that. So we see this as both a pronouncement of blessing but also a warning. And this would have been that. Imagine the crowd. The crowd is there. They're all listening. The disciples are tuning in. Okay, he's talking about the kingdom. And the crowd is hearing this. You've got to know there was some confusion. What? This is where blessing is? In poverty? 
It's the way of the king. We want to be like Christ. So help us, Lord, to not think like the world. That this is the first of the kingdom attitudes is very, very fitting when we think about the cross of Jesus Christ. The way of the cross. What is the cross all about? The cross is a symbol of death. It was a tool of death, of killing the Son of God in sacrifice. And all of it, where, when Jesus suffered and then hung on the cross and the Father poured out his wrath upon him, what we also know met him there. Not only was there wrath, but there was also justification for sinners. Sinners are justified through faith in the cross. So we see this great paradox even in the cross of Jesus Christ. The wrath of God and the blessing for the, for the people of God. And we only get blessing through his sacrifice, through his death on the cross. And then we are called to be self-deniers and cross-bearers. That's who we are supposed to be. So, when we meditate upon the cross, we are humbled. We are humbled to see that one, the, the immense price that Christ paid for poor sinners like us, that he paid the price. So it's a fitting thing to think about this poverty of, of spirit and to, and to meditate on the cross. And I just encourage you to do that. Think about that. What, what does that look like in your life? And it's being here, meditating on the cross and the work of Jesus Christ, the completed, finished work of Christ on the cross for spiritually assetless people that we begin to find transformation, real change in our lives. The kind of change that we see in the rest of the Beatitudes. And it begins to make sense why this is first. Because let's say you need meekness. You want humility. You want to be the kind of person who is able to mourn and be blessed in that mourning. To find comfort when you... None of that is possible. That's, that is such a life of, of kingdom-mindedness. But it begins with spiritual poverty. So it begins with desperation. We who get Jesus Christ, the king, we get the kingdom. All of it. The blessedness of the kingdom. There's only one thing that Jesus Christ doesn't share with us from what I can see in Scripture, and that's his deity. We won't be God, but he will share everything else with us. Isn't that amazing? What he gives us, what we have in Christ so we don't have to seek it in the flesh. We don't have to find it in this world. We give it to the Lord. We give it to Christ. And we let him do with our lives as he pleases, as he desires to do. We have nothing to bring. Look at this great phrase from an old hymn. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. 
That's spiritual poverty. That's the recognition of who we are and what we have outside of Christ and who we are and what we have in Christ when we simply come to him with open hands and say, Lord, take it. Use me. I have nothing. Be everything that I need. Cling to the cross. Come to him for your clothing, spiritually, physically even, for grace. For grace is not merited. We don't come to him for grace working for it. We come for him, come to him for grace, having nothing at all. So what kind of happiness? Do we want happiness? True blessedness, brothers and sisters, is this what we want? Then we, we seek it in Christ, in the kingdom. And we know that it comes not by working hard for it, by being humble, by lowering ourselves. If you are in that place, and I'll close with this, where you need God to move in your life, Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, bosses, employees, whatever category, whatever you are, whatever, even just a person who's just, you're desperate for God to move. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're not desperate. You're in that complacent category. We need this. We need this. Every one of us should be able to say, or we should, in everything that we have, every breath that can, we can muster up, say, Lord, I, I'm just desperate for you. I don't have anything. In fact, what I'm trying to do isn't working. So just you do something, Lord, and stay desperate in that place until you see him move. Keep praying, church. Keep humbling yourself before the Lord. He will lift you up. Thank God that the kingdom of heaven is comprised of the poor in spirit, not those who are worthy, but those who are unworthy and for whom Christ died. Amen, church? So as we pray, I'm going to pray very specifically that if there's anybody here in this room that needs and wants God to move in their life, but there's, a, there's an air of pride that is keeping that from happening. Let's ask the Lord to humble us as a church. But also to the one who is not in Christ, who has yet to bow and surrender their knee to the King Jesus. That we would just be in prayer that God would move in this place and that every heart would humble themselves and say, Lord, come into my life. Use me. I'm desperate for you because I have nothing. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for this kingdom mindset, poverty of spirit. Help each one of us to really know that what we have to offer you is absolutely nothing. Until, until you come into our lives and you give us power, a indwelling spirit, gifts to bless the church with. But let's all from you. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. You are the giver. I pray for the man or woman who is desperate for you to move in their life, to awaken them, 
through a, a, an awareness spiritually of what you are doing and what your word says. And that, God, you would transform lives by the power of your spirit. I pray also that this humility that we are called to would affect how we see other people, how we forgive other people, how we hold on to grudges. If we are all truly poor in spirit outside of you, then what what should we hold back? What grace should we hold back from anybody? So help us to be gracious, to be givers of love and patience and forgiveness to those who have nothing to offer us. Lord, we believe that there's even greater blessing in giving forgiveness and grace to those who can give us nothing in return. You told us that principle. So help us in that, Lord. Humble us, humble this church, every person here. Lord, for the one who is wrestling and fighting, the one who is yet to believe and say, I believe in you, Jesus. You're the one who died for my sins. You are the one who bore the cross. I am the sinner. I am unworthy. God, would you work and bring salvation? Save souls. Strengthen your church, Lord. You alone can do it. So we cry out to you. Do this work. Humble us now, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.